Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Tessa Suela, and today I'm joined by longtime friends of the podcast, Megan, of the On the Download podcast. Hi. And Elise, of the Podwraith's Deep Space Nine Rewatch podcast. Hi. Woo. Romance. Sorry. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to Today, we're going to talk romance. Romance fiction is one of the best-selling genres of all time, with sales exceeding over $1 billion each year. There are hundreds of subgenres and dozens of different mediums, from audiobooks to self-published novellas to graphic novels. However, it is one of the most maligned genres as well, so in this episode, we're going to talk about our love for the genre, why we think it's so popular, why you should add some romance to your lists, as well as some things we've been reading lately. So, romance, what is it? What do you all think a book has to have in order to be considered part of the romance genre? I was thinking that, and this is really basic, but the romance part has to, the romance has to be like the main point. It's not like, for me, I think. But I don't know. I agree. I think it has to be a major plot point, you know? Like, yeah. Because yeah. I, you know, like, I mean, when you read, like, fantasy romance or something like that, like, there's obviously other things that are going on. Yeah, you know? no, for sure. But at the end of the day, like, I think that the, like, relationships have to be, you know, kind of important. Because, like, I used to joke with my friends that I don't want to read any books where no one kisses. Uh, <laughs> and then they're like, oh, oh I love that. well, like, but, like, there's a ton of books where people kiss. Like, you know, like, Game of Thrones. I'm like, oh, but Game of Thrones isn't a romance. Like, that's no, not a priority. Yeah. <laughs> no. It needs to be a priority. <laughs> yeah. Or Game of Thrones is a very, very violent romance. <laughs> I, you know what? The Game of Thrones movies or books have not completed yet. So who's to say what the priority <laughs> is? <laughs> That's entirely fair. I still have the, to read the last one, actually. But like, well, I'm not in a rush. <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> think about whether it what the last fiction book I read that didn't have some sort of kissing in it. And I legitimately cannot remember there being one. Why bother? Recently. <laughs> yeah. Why bother? <laughs> Does a romance novel or any other work of romance have to have an H-E-A, a happily ever after, as the, the trades people of the genre call it? I think no. I understand. I understand why that would be like why that would draw appeal. And I'll, I'm going to talk later about like we're all going to talk later about our preferences and like if i'm sitting down and i want a happily ever after and i don't get one like i i'm in a mood uh, <laughs> but like i think it it not to immediately talk about movies uh but like titanic is a romance you know that's not a yeah. happily ever after <laughs> i kind of feel the same way about the second season of fleabag like the, i don't know if you guys have seen that it's but, a love like story. in the yeah, it's a love story, and that doesn't have a happily ever after. I mean, it does in some ways, like, solo happily ever after, I guess. Like, you'll, not happy, but you know what I mean. I don't want to spoil Fleabag, because it's wonderful, and everyone should watch it. But that doesn't have, like, a happy ending, and I just, I like the 
these two people had a time together, and then they go their separate ways. That I like that too. That's interesting because I definitely remember the first time that I encountered someone just absolutely getting livid over the lack of an HEA in a romance was a friend of mine who watched 500 Days of Summer with me, which, spoiler alert, for those of you who haven't seen the film 500 Days of Summer, it does not have an HEA. And and 500 Days of Summer is a great film. It, I really enjoy it a lot. I know that some people like to make fun of it, and it definitely deserves to be made fun of in some ways. But part of the point of that film is that it is a romance. It is about thinking that someone else is the one when they don't necessarily think that you're the one. And it doesn't have a happily ever after because it's sort of interrogating that concept. It's deconstructing it in a lot of ways. And I I remember really appreciating that and really enjoying what the filmmaker was trying to do. But my friend did not. She did not enjoy it at all. She was expecting an HEA. She wanted an HEA. And the fact that the film didn't give it to her made her extremely angry. And so I I think I agree with you, Megan, that it doesn't necessarily have to have an HEA. But if you are a romance writer, you don't give the people an HEA at your own risk. Because those expectations are just so powerful. Um, If you go in expecting an HEA and don't get it, it can really ruin your experience of reading a romance novel. Right. And I mean, I think like a genre of romance is like a fluff romance. Like if I pick up a book with like an aqua cover and like a couple standing back to back and it's called like, oh, kissing in the rain, like I'm probably going to expect that to have a happy ever after. Yeah. (laughs) But it's not that I think I'm owed that. (laughs) Right. I think I think the books I'm going to cover later are like are like that like where you know okay. it's the couple mine aren't the cu- actually I'm the, just realizing the, cu- the now, couple so. and the cover <laughs> yeah it's interesting though because I I do wonder I feel like and this is not a criticism of the person that you know who like was disappointed <laughs> but I do feel like there's a correlation between um not happily ever after and like the whole gross concept to me um of like the friend zone and like how even in real relationships sometimes people have like expectations that are different and it just like Megan said we're not owed that and nobody is owed that in real life either I just I feel like there's a connection there that I someone smarter than me can make that <laughs> another thing that's interesting specifically about 500 days of summer and i promise not to take us down a t- uh, too long of a, <laughs> a tangent but i think i like i think there is like that was from a male perspective and like i very much feel like i don't know like if they were marketing it towards you know like a broader demographic we're gonna talk about you know <laughs> how people view romance as a genre and like i could see people leaving and being like well it's not like a true romance like guys would like it you know and i'm like okay yeah like, i have a problem with that as well <laughs> but at the yeah. end of the day i could see how people would say that <laughs> oh i was just saying i'm very happy there are men in my life that like romance and romantic comedy oh i, I absolutely happy. i've i've broken down almost every man in my life now <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'll do. People will be like, oh, I like fantasy books. And I'm like, can I interest you in a slow burn? (laughs) (laughs) 
think romance as a genre is so enduringly popular. Like I knew it was the best-selling genre of the publishing industry, but I was truly shocked when I looked it up for this episode and found out that one billion was that number annually. One billion dollars, over one billion dollars in sales. And of course, like Amazon has made it so much easier for romance writers to self-publish. There are so many different mediums for romance now. It's really just exploded over the last few years, even though it has been one of the best-selling genres since probably the 1980s. So why do you think it is so popular? Why does it account for so much of the publishing industry's sales? I think it's the same thing as fantasy. It's escapism, you know? Like, you want to put yourself in the shoes. (laughs) Yeah. And also, at least with a lot of the romance I read, there's not high stakes. So it's like putting on a comfort TV show and, like, just enjoying the ride, um, having fun while doing it. And then, you know, usually you can read them pretty quickly. So it's like, okay, I'm going to do this tonight. Like, you, I can read a romance novel in, like, a day or two, you know? I have to say that one of my favorite things to do is on a rainy day. If I can, like, take the afternoon off or if it's on a weekend and I don't have to go anywhere, just to, like, lie on my couch and read a romance novel just start to finish in one sitting with like some candles and some music. I especially love putting on the Only Lovers Left Alive soundtrack. It's really great for romance novel reading. Highly recommend. And it's just raining outside. There's just enough light for me to read by without straining my eyes. It's just a really relaxing experience. That sounds like a wonderful mood. If if you have one with like a happily ever after, it's very low stress. Like yeah. it's a very universal desire, you know, like to want to like, you know, feel loved <laughs> in some way. I think I, I yeah, I don't see why anyone wouldn't like to read romance, which is how I've convinced everyone around <laughs> me. <laughs> so what you just said, Megan, about sort of wearing down all the men in your life to read romance kind of provides one of kind of provides a potential answer to the question, why is romance as a genre so maligned in public discourse? And I mean, I think that is a really good answer. The fact that, well, romance is a girl's genre, right? You know, it's a genre of the housewife. You know, we have this image of like an older woman reading romance novels from bargain bins, you know, that the Harlequin bodice rippers of the 1980s, especially because she doesn't have a sex life. And that's kind of the stereotype that we have surrounding romance is that it's a very gendered thing. Do you all agree with that? Or do you think it's because romance as a genre is so popular that people like to denigrate it because it's not literary enough or it's not exclusive enough. No, it's the patriarchy. It's, gen- it's, it's the, <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's really um, a gender thing. Our society has a huge history of being critical towards anything that's girly or feminine. Um, anything marketed towards women or girls is often considered less than. I just, I do think it's changing a little bit. I, I do think. At least, and I'll get into this later, like how I got into 
like romance novels. There are more men in that situation, in the community that I'm part of where I started getting into it more that are reading them too. But I feel like, at least in my experiences, the men that are going to be in the community that I'm in are probably more open-minded anyway. So it's like, I don't need to stick Megan on them to like get them to <laughs> to read. Uh, and I mean, it is. I mean, I do feel like I I kind of have to like walk them walk them right up to the door. You know, I'm not throwing a a bodice river or like something with heavy smut right off the get go. But right. if they like fantasy books, I'll give them something that's fantasy. But then in the end, the couple gets together, and that's what's important. And uh, and and they're like, oh, actually, that was like kind of enjoyable. I'm like, yeah, because relationships are. A part of life and are entertaining. Like this isn't rocket yep. science. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite things to do, uh, because of course, like when you're navigating the wealth of self-published romance novels, especially, but even just the industry traditionally published romance novels, is to look at reviews. You know, to see what's good, what people are are saying about it. And so, you know, I have to admit, I'll scroll down you know, to the Amazon reviews. And my favorite reviews are the one-star reviews. I mean, I know that's bad for the author. So, you know, I feel sorry for them. But it just makes me laugh when I see these one-star reviews that are like, this book is just an excuse for smut. And it's like, you're reading a romance novel. Like, don't read this novel if you don't like the smut. <laughs> what? Like, maybe yep. that's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the last book I read was like that. The plot was so thin, but I still yeah. enjoyed it. <laughs> it was great. So I have two questions to ask both of you before we get to talking about the genre that Elise is going to talk to us about today. So the first question is, we have to have this settled before we start really getting into the details here. Do you prefer series or standalone romance novels ooh i guess historically i i'm uh, i'm a series person but it, i don't like if they get together in the first book then i don't want another book from that point of view i want to switch to someone else's oh their friend or it's the first couple's wedding and now these people are you know yeah. yada 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 so i like when there's some sort of connected universe but i don't like starting a book where they're already together <laughs> i feel the same um i do like the series if it's like you know the friends or the the sisters or whatever but um yeah i read so many standalone novels also so I don't know that I have a preference, but I wouldn't want to see the, a romance novel between the same two characters all the time. That is like, it's not like a mystery where, you know, you have a detective or something where they can have different plots each time that are different. Like it's, it would get very repetitive. Right. It is funny for me to say that and to be like, well, because if they start together at the beginning and I know they end up together, like there's no excitement. But like also when I start a book, I assume they're going to end up together. <laughs> <laughs> I should clarify that it is a convention of a lot of romance genres, especially historical fiction regency, to have a series of books based on different couples that are tangentially related to one another, 
Like, there'll be a series about a family, and each book will follow the relationship of each child in the family. So I guess I should clarify that. Right. Like, like Bridgerton. Yeah. Like, that's, I yeah, feel so like I was gonna, Bridgerton's I, the, I the actually, best example. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually mentioned Bridgerton later because in, in my notes because the books I'm going to talk about are three different sisters. So it's, like, similar. But I also read a lot of fantasy paranormal romances, and they've really been going through this thing recently where you'll have a series of, like, six or seven books that focus on the same couple, or if it's a polyamorous or a reverse harem situation, the same group of people. And it's I think it's to make more money in a lot of ways because it's easier to make money's off it's easier to make money off of a series than it is off of a standalone novel. I I actually read a novel, a series of novels recently that it started in one genre, like a pretty straightforward, like fantasy reverse harem genre. And like, there was a whole arc over the course of four books. And then it shifted into like a completely different genre in the fifth book. Like, it was the same characters, it was the same relationships, but it went from being, like, a standard fantasy genre to, like, a school genre. Like, it was, like, all of the characters, like, lost their memories, and then they had to, like, find each other again in this, like, completely different school environment. It was The Power of Five by Alex Liddell. It was so bizarre. Like, I don't know why she didn't just decide to write a different series. That's interesting. That sounds kind of wild. (laughs) It was not my favorite, I have to be honest with you. I, I, I kind of got to the point where I was like, I'm ready for this to be done. Like, I'm ready to move on to a different set of characters. Like, we've already resolved all of the issues that these characters had before. Even, I'm even currently, shorter. Sorry. I'm currently <laughs> on okay. book four in a series. And I, like, in book one, feel like I figured out who's endgame. And it's taken, like, we're not even there yet. Mm-hmm. And, like, we're just kind of starting to get there. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, finally, <laughs> I've earned this. <laughs> I kind of. <laughs> yes. Well, that brings me to my other question. Slow, medium, or fast burn? Slow. Slow to medium, I like, nothing fast. <laughs> yeah, I like slow to medium. Fast, it's like what happened here. I feel like I missed something a lot of times. Well, I'm going to be really curious to see how those answers impact our discussion of the books and genres that you both want to present to us today. So let's start with you, Elise. Let's start with your relationship with romance as a genre before we move into the book series that you want to talk about today. Well, I'm going to be really curious to see how those answers impact our discussion of the books and genres that you both want to present to us today. So let's start with you, Elise. Let's start with your relationship with romance as a genre before we move into the book series that you want to talk about today. So I feel like I read... No, definitely not. Um, I feel like I read a real... I don't remember even the author, but I remember reading one extremely smutty romance when I was, like, a teenager and being, like, so secretive about it, like, under the covers with the... with the um, Why can't I come up with that word? Flashlight. flashlight. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> with, like, the flashlight, like, hide it under my pillow, you know, that whole bit. 
Um, but I didn't really read more of them, but I remember feeling like very excited about it. Like it was like, I felt like, like I was being bad a little bit. Um, and then I didn't read romance for a really long time. And I think I was a hater of things girly for a really long time. And, and I stopped being a hater of girly things before this, but a few years ago, I joined um, a Patreon Slack for a podcast that I like, and one of the channels was is about books. I'm actually still part of this community. And so we had a book club, but, like, there's other books that every, – everyone in this community is, like, pretty big readers. So there was always some – a lot – there was a lot of um, recommendations, and I feel like – Last year or the year before, whenever Red, White, and Royal Blue came out, someone had read that and suggested it. And I hadn't really read romance in a long time. And I've read, like, 30 romance novels since then. It's just, like, talking with people that I'm friends with, knowing, okay, I liked the last book that person recommended, so I might like this one. Um, A lot of people in that group do read, like, fantasy um romance which is not actually my favorite i'm not a huge fantasy reader i did really like the simon snow series that just ended by rainbow rowell like that my friend melissa said that i like fantasy but there needs to be rules like i don't like when it's um like kind of really open-ended like i need to i need like okay this is how you do a spell like all these other things so I feel like just from meeting more people and becoming friends with more people that like romance novels and have given me very good suggestions is in the last few years is how I've um, gotten into romance. So how often do you read romance? So I actually have some data for this answer. <laughs> I use this app called <laughs> I use this app called Storygraph. It's similar to Goodreads. And actually, when you start using it, you can import all your Goodreads information into it. So now when I'm tracking books, I kind of use both. But I looked it up and it, it has all these amazing charts. So last year, I read about 70 books and 22 of them were romance. And this year, so far, I've read 25 books and nine of them have been romance. So I read about 30% romance. You have actual data to back up your answer. You are clearly part of Team List. <laughs> yeah i <laughs> yes <laughs> um i love yeah i love tracking on there but yeah no that is so cool do you i know you also have a goodreads account do you keep track of that information there as well yeah i also track my to be read on goodreads also that's like a big thing like whenever anyone suggests something i i add it on there what book or series did you choose to focus on for your monkey today? I'm going to talk about contemporary romance or romantic comedy. They often um, intertwine. Those are pretty much my favorite genres or, uh, of, that, of um, romance. I just really like realistic stories where the... Not re- necessarily realistic. I mean, there's always like something wild happening, but just like I can relate to the characters. Some people might be interested in some of the same things. There'll be like pop culture references a lot of the time. It's just easy and they're not, they're not usually hard to follow. They're, 
and I don't mean complex. They're not too complicated. I mean, I don't mean that like the characters are boring or not complex, but it's just the plots. You e- know the world easy. already. Yes, it's yes, exactly. So I'm gonna talk about um, some contemporary uh, romantic comedies. Um, today I'm gonna talk about the Brown Sisters series by Talia Hibbert. Um, Talia Hibbert is a romance writer who actually focuses, and this is from her website, um, on positive representation for marginalized identities. So her her books are pretty diverse from race, culture, um, uh, disability, uh, queer, like her characters are very different and it's really awesome to see everybody kind of interacting with each other. Like it's not a big deal. It's just life and it's normal. (laughs) Um, so the way that this is a series kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where is there's three sisters and each book is a different sister's romance. So they're in the same world, but they're not. Um, and like the sisters kind of pop in and out of the other books, but they're not really the focus. So they're not it's not like the same story all over again. So the, the books in this series are called um, Get a Life, Chloe Brown is the first one. The second one is uh, Take a Hint, Danny Brown. And the last one is Act Your Age, Eve Brown. And they're all romantic comedies. They're funny. Um, the characters, there's very silly moments. Um, let's see. I should also say that these are pretty smutty but i feel like this and this happens a lot with authors like the smut kind of gets dialed down as the books go on or i felt like the last book had like fewer sex scenes than the previous ones but yeah it's like similar to bridgerton as we were saying before where like you know the different siblings have different books and then eventually well those are getting netflix series but um So I was going to go into a little bit about the books, just like a little blurb about all of them. Um, Please do. Yes. So Chloe Brown, and I will admit I picked this book up based on its cover. I was um, doing book of the month last year, and uh, this was one of the choices. It looked cute because all of these books have the couple like on the front, and they were like really cute. Um. So Chloe is, she lives with a chronic illness and she makes websites. She does like freelance websites and she feels that her life isn't what what she wants it to be. So she wants to, she's making an effort to like get a life as the title of the book uh, says. So she has this list of things that she wants to do and I was going to read the list. She wants to have a drunk night out. She wants to ride a motorcycle. She wants to go camping. Have meaningless but thoroughly enjoyable sex. Don't, don't we all? Travel the world with nothing but hand luggage. Because she's like, uh, seems like a high maintenance person. So she probably has like a ton of luggage that she travels with. And she wants to do something bad. So she, um, she meets this handyman at her apartment complex named Red. And she decides he is the person that is going to teach her all of these things and take her on all these adventures. (laughs) Um, this book was really sweet Do and tender. Do they fall in love? <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, all of these books, all of these books end with everyone falling in love. Spoiler alert for the, for them, for sure. Um, I feel like this is a good time to mention that as we are recording this, we are in the week after 
the wonderful, wonderful meme, if I have learned anything from a romance novel, I have learned. (laughs) I'm trying to... (laughs) I just feel like that's really important to mention here because... When you, as soon as you said handyman, all I could think of was, if I've learned anything from a romance novel, it's that if you have a handyman in your building, you are going to fall in love with him. Yeah. It's true. Does um, he have, so, like, so, worn out jeans, you know? Like, tell He has also, <laughs> like, he has long hair. He had, like, a leather jacket. Of course he, he just did. Was, yeah. <laughs> he has tools and stuff. But he's also an artist, but he doesn't show anyone his art. So, obviously, Chloe has to, you know, make him a website. So, they help each other. (laughs) The one thing I really loved about this book is the talk about chronic illness. Um, They, I felt it was pretty accurately described. Like, they didn't make the whole book about that, but, like, Chloe knows her limits for her body a lot of, and knows when she needs to take a break and when she can't go out and... Basically has had trouble in the past finding a partner who understands that and doesn't treat her like she's fragile and, like, she just needed to find someone who respects her and understands that she might need certain accommodations and that that doesn't mean that she's, like, gonna break, you know? So it was really cool. And I also, like, and this is true in all the books, is... Like, the chapters are kind of from different perspectives. Like, they're all third person, but, like, we do get to see, we get do get to inside of Red's head also, which I really liked. Yeah, I always find it interesting because, of course, a lot of romance novels are solely from what's usually the feminine perspective. Although, of course, you get romance novels that are also entirely from a masculine perspective. But I think that they usually work better when you're switching perspectives between the two or more people that are involved in the relationship. Yeah, I like I like the switch back and forth uh, method a lot because I do feel that you get a better perspective. You get a better understanding of both characters. Um, otherwise, you're kind of like left. You can only trust a man in a book if you get from his perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> Uh, so do you guys have any questions about those before i move on to the next uh, book no i want to read them yeah you should (laughs) i like what you said about her chronic illness and how it's woven into her character and i appreciate that it sounds it sounds i haven't read this book but it sounds like talia hibbert either has a chronic illness or has done a lot of research into people who live with chronic illnesses Because in the romance genre, there's a really bad trope of having one of the characters be disabled either as just an impediment to the relationship, like, oh, like, he's not going to love me because my hands are scarred or because I'm blind or, you know, something like that. Or it's to make one character feel sorry for another character. And I... Granted, I read it last, this one, the first one last year, but I, if I remember correctly, it's not used as an impediment for the romance, but I think it sparks Chloe's anxiety within the romance, so maybe she's, like, impeding herself a little bit at first, but I, but it's not coming from Red. 
But it sounds like from what you said that the chronic illness here is a part of the character's life, a big part of it, but it's not used in such a way that would evoke either of those tropes. Yeah, no, no, it's not. So the second novel is um, about Danica Brown. She is a PhD student studying misogynoir. And she's looking for, like, a friends with benefits type person and she could, because she's, like, over love. Um, Danny will date people of any gender, which is awesome because we love a queer romance. Um, so at the beginning of the book, there's, like, this fire drill mishap at work and something happens where this, like, sexy ex-rugby player has to, like, rescue her. <laughs> and um, someone takes a video <laughs> of it and it goes viral. So, like, she's, like, looking for this friends with benefits thing, and he wants to do publicity for, like, his charity or something, so they start fake dating. Fake dating! (laughs) It's so good. Fake dating! (laughs) I just hit my microphone. That was a classic. (laughs) (laughs) It was worth it. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so they're fake dating, and then, um, but... Danny doesn't realize that Saphir, her sexy rugby player, is a romantic. So they obviously have different ideas of relationships. And there's also some really nice descriptions of his strong thighs because he's a rugby player, which is wonderful. Um, I didn't relate to this book as much as the other two. Just because, um, I don't know why. I just like the other two a little bit more, but I really did enjoy this. Um... I do like the two people kind of, like, unexpectedly opening up to each other. Like, they, there was no, ex, there, they didn't have any, like, expectations at first. It was just really nice. Um, the only thing I'll say, and this is just a me thing. This is not a book thing. Like, Danny's queer and dates people of all genders. But I think when I was reading it, I was in the mood for, like, a woman-loving woman romance, and obviously this did not give me that. So I think I was a little disappointed, but that was, like, on me. That's not a reflection on the book at all. Um, And I'm not one of those people who's, like, her queerness was erased. Like, no, queer people can date people of different genders. That's fine. Um, But yeah, so I did enjoy it, but I think I was in the mood for something else when I was reading it, but... It was still really good. Like, I gave that one five, four stars. It wasn't like, it was like horrible <laughs> or anything. <laughs> I do also enjoy when the conflict in a romance novel comes from two characters who have different outlooks on life or who have different expectations or want different things instead of from like a outside villain. I do love a good romance villain. But I do think it's really interesting when the conflict comes from within. Yeah, I, I think that's true with all of these books, too. Like, the plot, the plots are there, but I, I think the difference between how the characters perceive the world and things from the beginning to the end is changing is, like, what's in- so enjoyable about them, too. Like, it's... You know, the plots are fun and, you know, we love fake dating, but, like, it's just nice that the characters kind of, like, change their tune a little bit by the end. But I don't think they ever compromise themselves, which is nice. (laughs) (laughs) So the third book, um, Eve Brown is a hot mess. Um, She basically 
fails at everything she tries to do. Um, and at the at the beginning, she's working to plan weddings, and she kind of ruins her friend's wedding that she that's hired her, and she like comes home, and her parents are like she's the youngest sister, and her parents basically give her an ultimatum. It's like a I think they're a pretty well off family, so like she's. She's doing fine um, at home and, you know, she doesn't really want for anything. So her parents give her this ultimatum about getting a job and she, like, freaks out and drives and runs away. And then she lands at this, like, bed and breakfast. <laughs> and um, the the bed and breakfast owner's name is Jacob and he's, like, a control freak. But, um, like, he wants everything to be perfect in, like, a... In, like, a nice way. Like, he's, like, a little bit rigid, but he does want his bed and breakfast to be comfortable for his for his patrons. Um, Eve accidentally hits him with her car. <laughs> and so, so his arm is broke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this was a very good meet cute. And um, so he can't actually, like, run the B&B because his arm's broken. So she feels guilty and stays for a little bit to help him. And there's, like, a big event coming up. And he needs I don't know. Hands. Like, he had signed. <laughs> yeah. He had signed up for, like, this event in town. I feel like it was by the Lake District in the UK because all of these, um, all of these books take place in the UK. And... There was some, I don't know, he was going to, like, cook something, but his cook left. So he, like, was going to be in this event, and he didn't have anyone to cook. So Eve was going to stand in as a cook. And um, and Jacob's actually um, on the autism spectrum, too, so that they deal with that also in the book. But I don't, I don't know enough about that to know if it's, like, super well done. But one thing I liked about it is that they talked about it in regards to touch and, like, sexual activities, like, how he would need, like, more pressure than, like, if he's touched lightly, it would make him very uncomfortable and, like, things like that. Um, This book had one of the hottest scenes in all of the books that I loved, and you will know when you get there. Um, It was just (laughs) wonderful. (laughs) There's a sex toy involved, so you'll just know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think the best recommendation anyone can give for a romance novel is when they say that there's one of the best sex scenes they've ever read in it, and you'll just know. You'll just know. You'll know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so she basically is helping him because she feels guilty, and then, like, it's a little bit enemies to lovers because they cannot stand each other at first. I mean, she's, like, very loud, she has purple hair, and he's, like, very put together and has his way that he likes doing things, and then she hits him with the car. So, it's just a lot of fun controversy <laughs> there. Um, yeah, so. Those are the the three books. They're so good. And I there's other books similar where I, that I've read recently where they're all different. Um, it's, like, you know, the almost fake series where they're all in the same, um world but i just really like that because you meet the the character and then you're like oh i can read about their friend now and it's just very enjoyable for me i think one of my favorite things when reading a series that i know is going to focus on different couples like this is to try to figure out who the couple is or who one part of the couple is while reading it 
<laughs> Who's next? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll always uh, yeah. they'll, they'll be like, I have to call my best friend Sam, who's in New York. I'm like, got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was one I read recently where like the two friends hated each other, and so you like the next book was the two friends having like a enemies to lovers romance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. man, I like a best man like Brian, a maid of honor. Come oh, on, yeah, oh <laughs> yes. yeah, oh yeah. Or like disaster honeymoon where the best. I read one recently where the best man and like the uh, maid of honor like went on the honeymoon because something on happened. So everyone at the wedding. Yes, because yeah, the that wedding too. got sick, right? <laughs> yeah, that movie, that uh, movie, that book was cute. <laughs> Do you have any other contemporary romance books, series, authors that you want to recommend to our listeners? Yes, um, I my number one recommendation right now is Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. Um, this book is a love letter to fandom and fan fiction, um, and I also love it because it's kind of loosely based on reactions to the last season of Game of Thrones. Um, so if you're a Jamie and Brienne shipper, you will like this book, and I am, so I loved it. Um, it's just really great. There's, like, the main character is plus size, and, like, she's so hot. Like, you just know she's hot, and she's awesome, and, like, I just love... That, you know, traditionally, I feel like in the past, like, there's been a certain way that the female protagonist in these romance novels has looked and acted. And I just really like that authors are breaking those boundaries. It's really awesome. Um, But yeah, that book is really great. Like, I got it from the library and then I bought it because I was like, I'm going to reread this one. And that (laughs) author is writing another book that I think is going to be a slow burn, which I'm excited about. I think it actually was supposed to be called Slow Burn, but they changed the title. But I do like that the title of this book is also called Spoiler Alert. Like, that's really cute. But yeah, that book's awesome. And it has a, a, (laughs) yeah, it has a turquoise cover also. I was going to say, I don't think the book I'm going to talk about today has a turquoise color, but it definitely has a very turquoise adjacent color, like a light blue. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you go into Barnes & Noble and you see a pastel yes. color, you know what you're getting. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's different shades, but yeah, I right. think um, the it's- Eve Brown book was also like a light blue <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's great but yeah and um i'm not i haven't read this yet but one of my co-workers mothers wrote a romance she's a romance novelist and her name is caridad pinheiro and i haven't read her yet but she just wrote a book that is going to be a hallmark movie called south beach love and I think they're filming soon. And I told her that I told her daughter that my coworker that we were doing this. Um, so I, I felt like I should plug that. So I'm very excited. I <laughs> yes, it's a, a I think the family, the people, the characters are Cuban in it and it takes place in Miami. And I think my hold was like less than two weeks at the library. So I'm very excited. All right, let's take a moment to talk about our favorite romance tropes. We've already mentioned fake dating. I think someone mentioned enemies to lovers. Megan, what are your favorite romance tropes? Yeah, I mean, those are two 
top two excellent um getting more niche there's only one bed at the inn love that's my other one i love it that's like uh, yeah are they gonna wake up spooning oh no (laughs) i think my favorite part of that trope is the argument the no oh no like i'm gonna i i'm gonna not i'm gonna respect you and not sleep on oh okay i guess i'll I'll, we can share a bed you sleep on the ground no you don't sleep on the ground it's fine (laughs) (laughs) oh yes elise what are your favorite romance tropes oh no those were my three (laughs) i literally had fake dating enemies (laughs) enemies to lovers and one bed are my top three (laughs) Sounds like Megan and I have similar tastes. We do, but I'm about to pivot with Tessa, I think, because if you read (laughs) fantasy, you get a lot of other stuff, too. Yeah. So I'm going to take a little bit of a different tack, and this might be a little controversial considering what you both said at the beginning of the episode about slow burn. I like a good faded mates scenario. Oh, I do, too. (laughs) Like. I, I that this is very common in fantasy and paranormal romance, the fated mates, uh, sort of an insta, kind of like insta love, but not really, because it's two people who like are supernaturally bound together in some way, and I I think it gets a lot of flack because sometimes people think that it doesn't provide enough conflict, but I think that if you write it well, which many I've I've read many romance novels where it's written well. It can provide this extra layer of knowing that they belong together or two people who belong together, but who don't necessarily like each other or have different goals or different expectations, but they're bound together in this way and they kind of have to learn how to love each other. So it's kind of like enemies to lovers, but with like an extra supernatural twist. I like when we know, but they don't know. Uh, like that's the kind of faded stuff i like uh another classic who 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 did this to you uh who, who hurt you you were stabbed you come home and your enemy's now mad because someone else hurt you and you're like i thought you hated me uh love right, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a good one too yeah. <laughs> i like that also arranged marriage can also sort of fall into this category as well i do enjoy a good arranged marriage uh there's a there's a series um but it's the first book is called radiance uh the series is called the wraith kings by grace draven but the first book radiance deals with like an arranged marriage between two people it is a fantasy book but they are of different species and so they don't even find each other attractive at the beginning because they're they just look so different from each other and so the whole romance is is that they're already married at the beginning but they have to kind of learn how to be in love with each other you know since they come from two completely different worlds like i have to also say especially when we get into the 19th century 18th and 19th century stuff that i'm going to talk about later in this podcast episode carriages getting trapped in a carriage with someone for a couple of hours that is definitely one of my favorite tropes oh (laughs) niche (laughs) i was gonna say i think that's the tweet i saw about that we were talking about earlier it said if i learned anything from romance novels it's that there's more than one way to take a bumpy carriage ride (laughs) <laughs> I don't, sorry to whoever tweeted that. I don't remember who you were. 
Like, you just know that if you're in a 19th century British romance novel and you're trapped in a carriage with someone for a couple of hours, stuff's going to happen. I- I'm a real sucker for it. I- I'm also going to say, like I, like a f- I like a friends ga- to lovers, too. Oh, the elevator. I like a friends to lovers, too. Like a slow burn I like friends to lovers. Also. I I Yeah, I, guess I like that, too. Sometimes I'm in a mood for an enemy's lovers, but I'm not mad at a friend's lovers. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. But yeah, the carriage ride right. definitely reminds me of like Grey's Anatomy <laughs> and the the weight of the elevators. I feel like at this point, Grey's Anatomy is its own romance subgenre. Like it has its own conventions and its own tropes at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I feel like at this point, Grey's Anatomy is its own romance subgenre. Like, it has its own conventions and its own tropes at this point. Okay, this is not going to be that exciting. Uh, Twilight came out when I was 12, you know? Uh, <laughs> Twilight probably got me into romance. <laughs> hey, listen, Twilight was a formative book for many people. For many people, and <laughs> for a long time, I didn't stand by that, and I'm sure if I read them now, I wouldn't stand by it, but it, I did have opinions, <laughs> um, and uh, and then also, uh, I was, uh, you know, it, I was also 14 on the internet and uh, was aware of Harry Potter fan fiction, <laughs> so that's probably how I got started with romance. So how often do you find yourself reading romance? And do you, like Elise, have the numbers to back up what you say? I do not have the numbers. I do not have the numbers. What is funny is, so uh, I, for like 10 years of my life, I didn't read fan fiction. And I'm back with a vengeance. Like during the pandemic, I'm like, you know what? There's been a lot of content since I stopped reading fan fiction. And I guess I'm in this again. So uh, I could technically, if I was to go into my <laughs> archive of our own account, I could calculate how many words I've read this year. Um, um, I'm not going to do that because it would be a lot of work. And I don't know if I want to know that truth about me. Um, <laughs> as far as how often I read romance, I, I go through phases, I think. So uh, there'll be like three weeks where I'll just read constantly. And I mean, I started a series on Sunday and I just finished book four today type thing. Uh, and then I'll and then I'll have a dry spell where if I'm trying to catch up in the Oscars or something, I'll be, you know, busy. But once I every every once in a while, I'll like, you know, download something to my Kindle and then just remember how much fun I have. And then, you know, that's my next month. <laughs> <laughs> Four weeks later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Romance is definitely the genre that keeps me up past my bedtime the most. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I cannot tell you. I will text I like, friends of mine and be like, I can't go to sleep until they get together. <laughs> like, <laughs> and recently I was reading a book and like, I'm not going to I'm not going to say what book it is because I don't want to spoil it. But at the very beginning, it was a it was a fantasy book and uh, there is romance in it. But at the very beginning, there's two people. They don't like each other. They're like the same type of magician. And they like keep getting in the same competitions and the same. And I'm like, oh, these two are going to get together. So I'm reading this book. 2 a.m. They're not together. 3 a.m. They're not together. And I'm like, this is driving me insane. I finish the book and they do not get they don't even kiss. And I was like, what what has happened here? (laughs) 
Uh, there's going to be another book in the series. So anything could happen. But I was just like, I was up all night. <laughs> they didn't even kiss. Oh, no. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, that's really sad. Like, that's actually depressing. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I wish that you didn't lose sleep over it. I've lost sleep over stupider stuff (laughs) (laughs) so what genre are you going to talk to us about today so they kind of go hand in hand but uh, fantasy romance is one of my favorites but I am going to talk about fan fiction because we've talked a lot about tropes and one thing that I've gotten so used to from reading a bunch of fan fiction is knowing exactly what you're getting into Uh, like on, on the first page, <laughs> I mean, you know, they won't give spoilers, but they'll say, here are the content warnings. Here's, are you going to get a happily ever after? Yes. Are they soulmates? Yes. Is there enemies to lovers? Yes. Like, all this stuff is just, like, right out in the tags. I'm like, excellent. I can filter based on what I'm in the mood for, based on how long of a thing I want to read. Maybe I maybe I can't stay up till 4 a.m. tonight, but I need a hit. Let me find a 28,000 word. Let's get in and out. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> It's drugs. <laughs> yeah, it's drugs. <laughs> you can sort by explicit, mature, like, you know, like there's a million options. And once you get used to the sorting, it's, I mean, it's fun. And there's just so much fun stuff you can do with it. Um, my, I, one of my toxic traits is I can't quite let Harry Potter go. And I really enjoy uh, a lot of fanfic versions of the characters <laughs> um, so that I don't can have to. Can I ask to... What, your, what your top ships are? That you can, and I know Sam and I disagree on this, so I'm worried to say it in front of Tessa. I'm a I'm a Wolf Star, <laughs> Sirius and Remus, uh, long term, and then also Draco and Hermione. I know, okay, I feel ashamed. <laughs> it's the most basic thing in the world, but it's don't be ashamed. This is a judgment free zone. You like what you like. This is a judgment free zone, and when I was young, I liked Draco and Hermione. Okay. <laughs> Those are those are my top two. <laughs> is there a particular series or work that you'd like to talk about today? So, I mean, it, it's I mean, I really just want to pitch fanfic <laughs> because there's a lot of good stuff out it. there, and I, love it. I like every every week. I'm just astonished that people are like putting out free, like you know, so much content based on you know just for fun like they don't get paid they i mean they get comments and kudos but at the end of the day like this is kind of a hobby but there's some really high quality stuff um i i i think you should pick like you know just like if you have a top ship you just go and read like see what the top like comments or top kudos ones are and start there uh i mean the biggest one for Sirius and remus is all the young dudes which is like Basically, which number one is canon compliant, so it will make you weep. But number two uh, <laughs> is just like basically the whole like Marauders years at school and like you really get to like d- dive into the minds of that. But then also sometimes like I read one where uh, all the Marauders were contestants of the Great British Bake Off. Like there's anything. <laughs> <laughs> there are no limits to the imagination. There are no limits. You can like there there are tags like one there there's random tags but I read a book and one of the tags in the book in like the you know content warning was inappropriate use of the Malfoy signet ring 
and you click on that, there's like 25. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> This is why this had to oh be tagged. <laughs> so, yeah, I just think it's really fun. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, it can be a crapshoot. There are people just putting anything on the internet. But, you know, if you're, if yeah. you're, you know, if you look at the tags and there's not something like, so I hate when people get pregnant. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about tropes we don't like. So if, if I see a tag for pregnancy, I'm like, scroll, scroll, move on. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to stress about a I baby. I similarly <laughs> don't enjoy books even with the characters having children i like i don't care (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're like i can only worry about so many people in this book right well and then the other thing like if it's a remus and Sirius, it's like a male pregnancy so then there's a whole other thing you know and like (laughs) oh yeah let's not even get into the alpha and omega of it all Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's, Uh, (laughs) I mean, that's, and that's what I feel like when people think of fan fiction, that's what they assume. And don't get me wrong, you can find anything on the internet. Like, but there's a lot of high quality stuff as well. There's just a lot of fan fiction that isn't even sexual. Like, it's just doesn't have to be. A hundred percent. You can, because you can search based on like relationships or you can search based on characters. Yeah. So, I mean, my yep. friend really like just finished a fan fiction and it was like his first fan fiction and he sent it to me and I looked at the tags and there aren't any like relationship tags. It's just like Harry, Ron and Hermione and they're like a retelling of whatever. And I was like, I mean, I wouldn't read this, but props to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of have become so broken that I see all the young dudes uh, by uh, her name's Miss King Bean 89. And the joke on the Internet is that that's Taylor Swift, because you can <laughs> you can put a lot of Taylor Swift songs to plot points in that book. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, at, when I listen to August, I think about a fake made up character from a Harry Potter fan fiction <laughs> that was not canon <laughs> at all. But I really see that as canon. And then uh, definitely check the content tags for this one because this is dark. But uh, Manacled is a really popular Draco Hermione fan fiction that is an alternate universe if Voldemort had won the war. But check the content warnings. This is not a joke. <laughs> content warnings are important. Noted. Yes. <laughs> so, fan fiction. I mean, I, I just, like, it, I've become so broken. Like, I'll watch a TV show and be like, ah, I wonder what the top ship is of this. Like, you know, like and <laughs> I I watched, like, an anime show. I don't and... think that's broken. I think that's normal. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I watched an anime show, and there are, liter- there are two characters who are, like, in the manga, like, interact with each other but in the show have not yet and now i'm like a hard i hardcore ship them i've never seen them in the same frame of a tv show once and i have not read the (laughs) manga (laughs) so i i it's very entertaining but i mean i just i think if people assume fan fiction is all like you know uh, the supernatural people getting pregnant (laughs) and like you can find that but you can kind of find anything (laughs) Right. But I also, uh, another series and rumors that I really liked is All My Cards Are Here. And I mean, it's ironic that you brought up ca- chronic illness. A lot of the times in non-magic uh, universes, Remus has chronic illness as, you know, st- putting in for the werewolf thing, I guess. So, right. uh, I mean, I think I like learned what spoons were uh, in relation to chronic illness because I was reading fan fiction. <laughs> so... That's I've learned a lot from fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, so I don't read as much fan fiction as I would like to. I, I really should read more, and you've kind of inspired me today to go find some more things that I would like. 
I just, I'm always very impressed by the potential of fan fiction for the imagination of fan fiction, first off, but also just the potential of fan fiction to, for people to reinvent things, especially queer people to reinvent things, to imagine queer relationships that are not perhaps textual in the original piece of art, or to reclaim things that are perhaps explicitly anti-queer or at least anti-queer leaning. Right. And I mean, I think like, I mean, the impetus of Remus and Sirius being shipped was like real time before book five came out. Everyone was like, because at the end of book four, Sirius is told to go lay lo- or lie low at Lupin's and the Internet's like, oh, got it. They're a couple. Obviously, one represents the moon. One represents the stars. They grew up together. Like, you know, David Thulis was told that <laughs> they were a queer couple by Alfonso Cuaron, who just didn't check with J.K. Rowling and like made assumptions. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I think um, it just makes it like better that that was it like does. not checked by anyone. <laughs> yeah, no. And so everyone. <laughs> I mean, there's like a ton of people on the internet who are like, in Order of the Phoenix, you know, Remus looks at Sirius for 52 lines, you know, like, people take it very seriously. <laughs> but I think there is like, it's nice to reimagine it and like, you know, have characters who, you know, you might have been like, oh, I could see them being bi, I could see them being pan, I could see, you know, yada, yada, yada. And to be able to like easily find a version of that, it makes it feel like, you know, it belongs more to everyone. And I mean, going back to, you know, what Elise said about like comfort like I already know the Harry Potter universe you don't have to tell me about you know how Hogwarts works I got it we're in you know so I like it (laughs) but the world building is uh, there's just not so much pressure on the world building it seems right yeah there's also something nice about being able to engage with the characters that you like without um, giving money to the bad person oh big time oh big time that's That's a huge part of it (laughs) Well, I feel like it's reclaiming it in a lot of ways from what you've said from a series of books that, frankly, I can't read anymore because of my associations with the original author being a turf. And so it sounds like the fan fiction is sort of a way to reclaim what you love about the series through reimagination, through the understanding that these characters belong to the fan fiction writers now instead of to perhaps the original author. Right. Well, because like J.K. Rowling's like, well, yeah. Remus is straight and Sirius is dead. And thousands of people on the internet are like, no. <laughs> yeah. And I appreciate I feel that. very like, okay, lady. Okay, yeah. lady. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like all of the people who are like, Spock is straight. And it's like, no. Make make me. <laughs> yeah. There is no one. I don't think there's anyone in Star Trek that is straight. Like, none of them are. Yeah. None. Nope. Doesn't exist. Well, and that's, there, there are tags. It's like, hashtag everyone's gay. Like, I, I, yeah. there's a, like, another really popular type of fic is, like, texting fics. And so, like, that's just really easy to read. You know, it's like a group chat. And so, they like, just scroll through. And I, I, I read one recently. Uh, called Get Off Your Phone that's very popular. And uh, in that one, everyone's oh, gay. All the Marauders like are gay. <laughs> that sounds interesting. That's really cool. So is it like collaborative? Uh, so there are some that are collaborative. Like there are ones where like two writers will team up and someone is, you know, 
serious and someone is remus i know this is my only example but it's like my main fandom i apologize (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, but there are also some where someone just you know kind of does everything and it also has ruined texting for me because in this fic they're like college kids and so now i'm like keyboard smashing to like 35 year olds that i work with (laughs) (laughs) all right we talked about our favorite romance tropes let's talk now about our least favorite romance tropes i know i personally have stopped reading a book in the middle or perhaps not even bought a book based on the types of tropes that are described in the synopsis what actively turns you off of a book or will prevent you from buying a book if you know that it has this particular trope in it. I'll go first. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> we're all quiet. Um, I'm not into like someone falls in love with a ghost. Like I don't. I don't. I'm like not interested unless it's the um, TNG episode of Star Trek where Beverly Crusher falls in love with a ghost. That episode is called Classic. Subrosa, and it's so campy yeah. and wonderful. Yeah, I don't. I don't care about ghosts um i feel like i used to like this because of like she's all that but like i don't i don't want to see someone get a makeover or anything like that like you're probably great how you are now that's you know and um like someone getting over like a trauma like i'm not you know like if someone was assaulted or something and then they had to get over it with this other person like i just i'm just not interested in that i i prefer a little bit more lighthearted um romance than that i already said pregnancy <laughs> i don't i don't want anything to do with pregnant if i'm like halfway through a book and i'm enjoying it and then she's like wait i haven't gotten my period i'm like no yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> i don't like that either yeah uh uh honestly i i read books like this but if i'm expecting there to be some spice and then there's a fade to black i'll be disappointed i'll keep going but i'll be disappointed (laughs) um yeah i mean that's 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 kind of i don't like i want to say that i don't want like a manipulative man but i think i don't think i can stand by that sometimes i will read things with manipulative men i'm sorry (laughs) twilight was very formative (laughs) (laughs) no i totally For me, one of my least favorite tropes is a bully romance. And this is not me judging anyone who reads bully romances. Like, I understand that romance is a fantasy. And if you enjoy that, you should read them. I'm reading a bully romance. And it's like the first one I've really read. And I'm like, I'm not mad at it. (laughs) I don't think I've read one before. For me, there's just a line where if a character does something that I don't think should be forgivable, like actively harms another character, bullies another character, uh, you know, ruins their life in some way, or gets other people to harm them. And I'm not talking about, you know, dark vampire that drinks people's blood. You know, like, I'm, I'm here for, like, a dark hero. Like, I, I am. But for me, there's a, there's a line between dark hero and bully, and I just can't stand it when it crosses that line. It actively pulls me out of the moment. Yeah. The one I'm reading right now, like, they all have different powers, obviously. Um, and, like, one of the guys, <laughs> obviously. like, <laughs> obviously, like, uh, like, basically, there's two twins, and he made them, like, lower their guards and, like, compelled him, compelled them to tell them his 
or tell him their darkest fears. And then him and his friends made that happen. And I'm reading this book. I'm like, I will never forgive them. And then like two books later, I'm like, "Ah, it's complicated. You know, phase (laughs) is different than humans. So I don't know. But they also get you by like it being in a different book. So exactly. it's like I'm like, I know, hate that, these people and I'll never forgive them. <laughs> like two books later you're like, oh his abs. I'm like, well, he's probably fine. <laughs> I do I mean I think because I have a friend who will be like, you read book like so this is a you know low uh, YA example, but uh, Shadow and Bone, and then they I don't know if you saw the series or read the books, but they cast Ben Barnes. I haven't read or seen it. Okay, oh, so <laughs> they cast Ben Barnes, and I'm like, well, I am already down bad for this guy. So my friends make fun of me because he's like <laughs> very much the villain, uh, like, and uh, and I'm like, mm, Ben Barnes love him, and then they're like, you always are into like toxic, like <laughs> the toxic men, and. I'm like, because I don't suffer fools in my real life. I'm just reading. Like, it's right. it's yeah. escapism. I would never actually put up with this. <laughs> if I told someone yeah. that my greatest fear was drowning and they trapped me underwater, I would never speak to them again, obviously. Right. But it's a book. <laughs> so I like enemies to lovers. I like the clashes that can come out of different morality systems between two different characters. But that toxic masculinity really takes me out of the fantasy. I can't always describe accurately where that line is without, you know, pointing to a specific example. Because I do read a lot of, like, paranormal romances where there's, like, an alpha male. And, like, there's a lot of those, like, power play dynamics or there's different morality systems. And I totally get that. But for me, when I see something on the page that I'm like, no, like, that's abusive. That's really what what triggers that like i i can't no i can't read this anymore right right i will say also like if i if i'm having enough fun like i'll excuse anything you know <laughs> like- yeah that's true <laughs> that is that's true. fair <laughs> yeah there's like a difference between like a bully in a school i think and like someone like Lothair from the the book Lothair by Cresley Cole who's like a centuries old vampire who is like half mad because he has all these different memories from different people and he's a vampire. But I wouldn't also necessarily say that anything that he does in that book is unforgivable relationship abuse either. But yeah, I mean, like, again, this is, this is all a fantasy. Like if that's what you're into, like, cool. I, it's just, for me, it's very personally something that I can't, I I just, it, it does not work for me. All right, so I will talk a little bit about my own relationship with romance novels. I think I first encountered romance novels as a genre when I was in my late teens. I remember very distinctly reading Lady Sophia's Lover by Lisa Kleypas. And I'm not going to lie, I read that book last week. Again, there are just some books that live rent-free in your mind, and that is one of them. So yeah, that was the first one that I remember reading start to finish, and I just absolutely loved it, everything about it. And of course, it was a 19th century historical fiction romance, which that that is the space that romance as a genre sort of grew out of. Somebody really liked Pride and Prejudice and decided to write a version of that with sex scenes. And that 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 this is just my opinion, but that that is how the entire genre got started. And so you know, that it has kind of evolved since then into its own genre and its own subgenres. 
But that is definitely where I started and definitely where the genre started as well was historical fiction romance. I myself probably read romance novels like two or three times a month, sometimes more if I get hooked on a particular series. You know, like Megan said, sometimes I'll be like, oh, it's been a week and I'm on book four, you know, time to start book five. I do not keep track because as you know, dear listeners, I am team no list. I have a Goodreads. I just don't use it. I probably should. I would probably keep better track of what I wanted to read if I had a, if I actually used my Goodreads. But this is where we are. I will say that I have like favorite authors that I keep track of. And that's one way that you can keep track of a list is that you just kind of read everything by a specific author. So like anytime Cresley Cole releases a book, I'm gonna read it. Anytime Nalini Singh releases a book, I'm gonna read it. Anytime Tessa Dare releases a book, I'm gonna read it. And it's not just because we share a first name. But yeah, that that is actually kind of how I got into it and how I go about it. Like I would just be like, all right, here's this author. I'm gonna read everything by them. Like all the series, all the siblings, I'm just gonna read about everything that they've ever published. But yeah, today I've decided to talk a bit about historical fiction romance, specifically 18th and 19th century, I know that's two centuries, of British-based romance, as I would like to call it. I, You know, a lot of people mistakenly, I think, refer to this as Regency romance. The Regency in Britain was like a nine-year period, which people don't realize. Like, the Regency occurred between the years 1811 and 1820. It was very short. It was when Queen Charlotte was basically ruling the kingdom because King George III was mad and his son wasn't really old enough to take power. It's a fascinating time, but it was a very short piece of time. And a lot of romance books are based during the Regency period, including Bridgerton by Julia Quinn, which is why I think a lot of people conflate this. But not all of those books that are set in like 19th century Britain are part of the Regency. You have the Victorian age after that. You have the Georgian period before that. But yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about this because I think it is one of the most well-read and well-known of the romance genres. In fact, a lot of people, when they think of romance, they think about 19th century British romance, you know, dukes and duchesses and, you know, the Viscount who ruined me. I don't actually know if that's a real title. I just made it up, but it sounds like it's a real title. But 19th century British fantasy, and actually what I'm going to talk about is 18th century British fantasy, but these two centuries have like this hold on our imagination, I think, mainly because of works like Jane Austen, like I mentioned earlier, uh, mainly because of works like Jane Eyre. There was a lot of like comedies of manners. There's actually a lot of romances that were written during this time period, but of course they didn't have the sexual content, the smut, the interesting bits um, that we have in more modern romances. And it is a fantasy. I mean, life during that time wasn't what I would necessarily call better than life during this time. But when people read these things, what they want to do is they want to escape into a world that has its own rules, that has its own constraints, that has dukes and duchesses and and romance and manners and all of these different things, but is still a world that they can kind of understand, that's kind of familiar because they've read about it before. Like people have read books that are set in this era, like I mentioned Pride and Prejudice, uh, you know, things like that. And so they feel like they recognize this era 
and they want more of it. They want to live in it for a little while longer. So today I am going to talk about The Queer Principles of Kit Webb by Cat Sebastian. Have either of you heard of Cat Sebastian before? I don't read a ton of, uh, I guess, period piece, 19, 1900s, Regency, etc. If I do read it, it's like modern written about that time, not like from that time. I see. So Cat Sebastian specializes in queer romances set in the Georgian and Regency eras of Britain. This book just came out in June, but because I'm such a huge fan of Cat Sebastian, it has been on my list for a long time because I just read everything by her. Anything that she writes just goes automatically on my list. This particular book, The Queer Principles of Kit Webb, takes place in the 1740s, I believe. There's a couple of dates thrown in there, but so it took me a little bit of time to figure out when this takes place. So well before the Regency period. This is definitely firmly in the Georgian period of the British monarchy during all those Georges. And the basic premise of this book is be gay, do crimes. So it follows Kit Webb, who used to be a highwayman, highwayman. He used to stand and deliver coaches, which basically means he would stop coaches and rob usually the rich people inside of them for all of their all of their money and jewels. But before the novel starts, he was in a terrible accident with his previous partner who died, um, and he was left disabled. He took a shot to the leg, so this character is also disabled. And he now owns a coffee shop and is trying to put all those days behind him, but he is dreadfully bored. He misses the engagement that he used to have with the crimes um, that he used to commit. And one day, a handsome and yet arrogant aristocrat, Percy Edward, comes into his shop and tries to hire him to steal a book that belonged to his mother from his father, the Duke of Clare. Kit decides that since he is no longer able to physically perform the robbery the way that he used to, that he will teach Percy, he will teach Percy all the tricks of the trade to being a highwayman. And that is the setup for this particular novel. There's a lot of history between Kit and the Duke of Clare, which we doesn't really become apparent until later. So he's kind of doing this out of revenge as well. But a lot of it's also that he genuinely feels this connection to Percy and wants to help him. It is sort of an insta-lust story. They do immediately feel very attracted to each other, Kit and Percy. But they are from different classes, and Kit Sebastian usually does a really good job of this in all of her work. They're from different classes. They have completely different outlooks on life, outlooks on money, um, the way that they interact with the world. And so there's a lot of tension, especially that comes from their class differences and from their the, the sort of the history that Kit has with Percy's family. But man, Kat Sebastian writes hot couples. Like, I can't even describe to you the chemistry that exists on the page between these two men in this book. Like, I can't even, yeah, like, Elise already has it on her, on her phone. And of course, this is an attraction of opposites. Like, Percy is very femme and fabulous. Like, he wears, like, these just ridiculously ornate 
like purple silk, you know, concoctions with these like socks with clocks on them and wears like a wig and a a beauty mark that's shaped like a heart. And of course, Kit is like this very down-to-earth, burly, bisexual, like, you know, has stubble perpetually, speaks in a growl type of person. But they both find each other like intensely attractive, which I always really appreciate. One of the other things about this book that I really also just appreciate about Kat Sebastian in general, because she's written so many queer romances over the years, is that she acknowledges that homophobia is part of the world in, you know, 1740s England. Like, you know, it was technically illegal for two men to have sex with each other, you know, the anti-sodomy laws and all of that. And she, she, you know, she brings that up and she does have it there in the background. But beyond the characters being aware of it and beyond the way that it kind of constrains their actions, it doesn't provide any sort of threat of violence um in that way that never comes to the surface of the actual plot so like kit for an example it does provide tension you know kit for an example when he's talking to percy you know says like oh well you're rich so you can act however you want you're you know you don't have to worry about you know being hanged or you know, anything like that because your money will protect you, your family will protect you. And so that that is there. And it, you know, obviously makes them have to act in secret. You know, Kit knows that he can't have, you know, a relationship with Percy where, you know, they're public about being a couple. And, you know, they write letters to each other in code, which is, you know, a hu- was a huge thing, you know, between gay couples in real life, you know, in, in the 18th and 19th century when they were trying to get around these laws. But it, again, it's not, you know, I you don't have any homophobic violence happen in these particular novels either. It's there in the background. It's part of the world, but it's not something that's going to intrude on on the actual romance plot of it all, at least not in Cat Sebastian's books, which I appreciate because, you know, frankly, when I'm reading a romance novel, I don't want to be reminded of how terrible people are. But yeah, I loved this book. It is a slow burn, despite the insta-lust I described earlier. Like, they are very attracted to each other. But a lot of the first part of the book is Kit agreeing to teach Percy and then teaching him. And so there's a lot of, like, those slow burn, like, they glance and they both know that they're attractive. And so there's this sort of coded flirting that's going on. And, you know, then later when he's teaching Percy, you know, there's a lot of, you know, furtive touches and like the awareness of, you know, the chemistry between them without, you know, actually acting on it. So it's it's very much a slow burn that you both should be able to appreciate, even though that undercurrent of that chemistry is there from the very beginning. I'm downloading this immediately. (laughs) It's really important that you know where your next romance novel is coming from, that you have the next one lined up before you finish the one that you're currently reading, because you don't want to go without that that hit of the romance novel for very long. I've already downloaded the audiobook. But yeah, I actually love the titles of Cat Sebastian's books. Like, A Gentleman Never Keeps Score, The Ruin of a Rake, like, The Queer Principles of Kit Webb. Like, she's really great at naming her her novels. But yeah, I would really recommend Cat Sebastian. I also really recommend uh, other authors from 
this sort of genre. So Tessa Dare, as I mentioned, is really wonderful, um, especially her uh, especially her Spindle Cove series is really, really great. Courtney Milan, uh, she's really wonderful at this. Lisa Claypit. Lisa Kleypas, as I mentioned, Julia Quinn, who wrote the Bridgerton series, Alyssa Cole, who has written both wonderful contemporary romance series and also historical fiction series, Sarah McLean. There's a lot of really great stuff out there, especially the more recent historical fiction romance has been really interested in writing complex characters, exploring ideas about consent, exploring ideas about societal differences. Yeah, I, I would... I would definitely recommend this as a genre if anything I've said appealed to you at all. And of course, you know, uh, there's there's bad 19th century Brit romances as well, you know. And as for there's 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 bad on everything, anything that's you know bringing in a billion, you know, there's there's gonna be some stuff in there that's not excellent. <laughs> well, yeah, and I know that a lot of people have problems with a particular scene in Bridgerton and. This particular genre has not always been the best with ideas of consent. Right. That's what I like about I've fan only fiction. Seen the- Warning. <laughs> yeah. You know it's coming. I've only seen the sh- the show of Bridgerton, but that scene um bothered me in the show too. Yeah, and you know, while romance still hasn't gotten a lot of things as a genre right in some ways, it has gotten a lot better over the last few years about talking about issues of consent. Oh, I was going to say the last romance book I read, um, Neon Gods by Katie Robert or Roberts, um, there is so much talk about consent in that book. And that one is um, an Hades and Persephone retelling. Um, that book was very much a vehicle for the sex scenes, um, which is fine. But yeah, they like they talk so because that that book also has like some kink in it too, which um, so like consent was talked about like almost ad nauseum. But it was like it's hot. And of course, some people are like, well, it's a fantasy, especially when we are talking about things like fantasy, like they're monsters. Why would we want to talk about that? There are actually really good series that do still foreground consent while talking about like monstrous relationships. The The one that comes to the top of my mind is the House Isidore series, which was written by Jolie Sue Burkett. And it's like a six book series. There's a couple of novella spinoffs that I'm avidly reading right now that it's about vampires. It's about polyamorous vampires. And, you know, they're drinking blood. There's some some BDSM, uh, you know, elements. There's supernatural elements to some of the sexual content as well. And yet it is still very much interested in the idea of consent. It is very interested in every party being enthusiastically good with what's happening in the moment. So you can do it. I promise you. It can be done. And the thing that always, like, frustrated yeah. me about, like, Game of Thrones is I always feel like it was, like, like brushing over that or like you know like like even within the books like not grappling with how that would affect the characters i'm like if you're gonna pretend like this is for plot's sake then make it have you know relevance to the plot like (sighs) what are you all looking forward to romance wise what are some things that are making their way onto your list well, it's funny that Elise mentioned Red, White, and Moral Blue because I just picked up One Last Stop, which is the new Casey McQuiston. Oh, I, and read I haven't that. read yeah. it yet, but it's on my shelf. That's like next up. 
I read that like pretty soon after it came out. But yeah, yeah I really like her. came out this summer. Uh, and then my other one is, so I have not read all of uh, Sarah J. Mass's books. I think there are some that people complain are not very diverse or, uh, you know, representative but i read crescent city and i i did love it and cry at the end <laughs> so uh there's a, uh, i think the next in that series comes out like in january so i'm ready for that too <laughs> what about you elise um yes my friends have been telling me about this book called it happened one summer by um, tessa bailey it's a schitt's creek inspired romantic comedy so Ooh. i'm looking forward to that and there's already a I don't think it's out yet, but there is a second book that's coming. So I'm going to read It Happened One Summer probably very shortly. And then now I'm also looking forward to the book that Tessa was mentioning. I, I have tabs. <laughs> I have tabs open. <laughs> that's what this podcast is for. If you can just get anything off of what we say onto your list, or if you can use this as motivation to get things off your list, we consider it a success. All right, we're about out of time this week. Thank you both so much for coming on. Where can we find you online, Megan? Yes, you can find me everywhere at Spell Megan, S-P-E-L-L-M-E-G-A-N. So that's Letterboxd, Twitter, Instagram, etc. And uh, my podcast is currently on hiatus for the summer. We will be back at some point. But uh, you can find us on Twitter at on the underscore download. Hopefully you'll be back soon. I want to hear your takes on the Green Knight. I have takes on the Green Knight. <laughs> I definitely have takes on the Green Knight. <laughs> Where can people find you, Elise? Yes, you can find me on um, Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you can find my podcast, Podwraiths, a Deep Space Nine podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Podwraiths, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S. So you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. You can find us on Twitter at Monkey Backlog and email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes. Next week, I'm talking about my so-called life, all you Gen Xers. Or anything that comes to mind. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back. <laughs>